0: Uh, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, can I get you to uh, keep that passage open, Galatians chapter one, uh, verses one to ten? Uh, we'll be looking at that together. There's an outline in the order of service uh, that's on your um, on your app uh, on, on your on your device. Uh, but uh, if you don't have it, never mind. Uh, we can still follow if we've got Galatians chapter one, verses one to ten. Let me lead us in prayer. And we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank You that You speak to us uh, by Your Spirit, through Your Word. Uh, we ask for You to speak to us now as we uh, look at this passage from Galatians, um, and that You would uh, point us uh, to Jesus, uh, to His Gospel, uh, and help us to be faithful to You. Uh, so we uh, commit this time to You, in Jesus' name, Amen. I uh, read a story the other day, don't know if it's true or not, probably not. Um, But it's a story about a Western couple who were living for a time somewhere in East Asia. And they went to a restaurant with their poodle, and after ordering the food, they they wanted the poodle to be fed as well. Uh, They didn't speak the local language, but they expressed it to the waiter using sign language. The dog needs some food. Now, they were happy to see the waiter understood, picked up the dog to take him to the back, presumably to feed him the scraps. And then half an hour later, you know what happened. The waiter returned with the poodle, nicely cooked on a platter. Sometimes getting a message wrong can have terrible consequences. Uh, And this morning, as we begin this uh, letter of Paul to the Galatians, uh, we will see some people uh, who got the message wrong. Uh, Paul had preached the good news, the gospel, uh, the good news about Jesus uh, to these Galatians. They had believed in Jesus. They were growing well in him. Uh, and then some people had come with, a, with the wrong message, with a different message. And they were trying to convince the Galatians that they actually had the right one. Uh, and they claimed that the Gospel message from Paul was incomplete. Uh, and so Paul writes this letter to them to urge them not to listen to these people, to warn them of the consequences of doing so, and to bring them back to obeying the true Gospel, the Gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now Paul begins the letter by describing himself as an apostle. The word apostle means sent one, uh, or messenger, someone who speaks on behalf of another person. Uh, So when an apostle is delivering a message, the words of the apostle carry the delegated authority of the person who sent him. And Paul says in verse 1 that he was not sent from man or even through man. Uh, His authority was not derived from other people. He hasn't been appointed by other people. He's not just an apostle of the Church, that is, someone sent by the Church as a missionary. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's a delegate of Jesus Himself. When Paul was persecuting the Church, the risen Jesus had appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And Jesus not only saved him, but sent him to preach the Gospel to the Gentiles. He's an apostle, verse 1 again, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is going to be very important actually next week. But now let's just note Paul's an apostle with a similar kind, similar kind of apostolic authority, right, as Peter and the other apostles in Jerusalem. Now that's how Paul describes himself. Notice how he describes who God is. You remember in the Old Testament, God of Israel, Yahweh, Was known as the God who brought His people out of Egypt. God who rescued His people from slavery. That was His identity. Which God do you worship? The God who rescued us from Egypt. Ah, that one. Okay. That's how He's known. But in our Old Testament reading, remember when the Israelites made the golden calf? They said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They were not only wrong in in worshipping something their hands had made, But they even took God's identity and gave it to an idol. In the New Testament, God's identity is centred on Christ. God the Father is the One who raised Him from the dead. That's who He is. The identity of God is now inextricably linked with the resurrection of Jesus. You cannot separate them out. Which is the God you worship? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who raised Him from the dead. That is our God. So. Any religious group that doesn't believe that their God raised Jesus from the dead, we don't worship the same God. Now We can love and respect people who belong to these groups, but we cannot say we have the same God, because the God whom we know and worship is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who raised Him from the dead. So Paul is writing as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And of God the Father who raised him from the dead. And he is writing, verse 2, together with his brothers who are with him. It doesn't mean the letter is written by a committee, but it does mean that he is with this group of people. He's being encouraged by them, he's being supported by them uh, as he writes. So, incidentally, uh, even though he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is still based in a community of God's people don't ever think that you don't need to be. And this community is probably the Church of Antioch, the first and most established Gentile Church. And so many of the people who are supporting him are Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, and so are the people that he's writing to in this letter. Uh, uh, The people he's writing to in verse 2 are the churches in Galatia. Again, notice it's not just writing to the church leaders, uh, but to the churches. He's writing to the gathered people of God uh, who are gathered together around his word. And so this letter is meant to be read to the congregations in Galatia, uh, just like it's being read over this period of time uh, at the congregations in St. Mary's. And what Paul is writing, he's not just writing to one church, he's, he's notice he's writing to the churches. He's a, there's a network of churches in the area. Uh, and he's sending this, this, this letter to all of them. Uh, there's different views about. Where these churches might be, uh, whether they are churches in North Galatia or in South Galatia, Uh, the North Galatia ones were planted after the Council of Jerusalem, the South Galatia ones were planted before. Uh, I take the view that there are churches in South Galatia uh, that he and Barnabas planted in their first missionary journey not too long before this. But wherever they are, they are Gentile churches. They didn't come from a Jewish background. They came to faith in Jesus as Paul preached the gospel to them. And they didn't become Jews when they became Christian. They didn't start obeying the Law of Moses as if they were under the Old Covenant. They simply trusted in Christ, they were baptised into Him, they received His Spirit, and they suffered for His sake. And that's important for what's going to come later on. Different people date the letter differently, but trying to correlate the events that Paul talks about here with the history that we have given in Acts, it makes me think that it is probably, though not certainly, about 48-49 AD, not long before the Jerusalem Council of 50 AD, which we can read about in Acts 15. The Jerusalem Council was the council that settled the question of whether the Gentiles need to be circumcised and obey the Old Testament law or not. The answer, of course, was no, Allah. We are saved by faith in Jesus, not by observing the law. And even after we are saved, we don't go back under the Old Testament law. Right? The Council of Jerusalem will make that clear to everybody. But if my dating's right, then this letter is written before that. And so Paul has to argue his case and persuade the people he's writing to not to listen to those who are telling them that they have to be circumcised in order to be saved. At the start of the letter, Paul begins with what looks like a normal Greek greeting of grace and peace. But embedded in that greeting, uh, together with this wider introduction, he actually gives us a summary of the gospel that he's proclaiming. The gospel through which God gives us true grace and peace. Look at verse 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever." Now earlier on we talked about the identity of God the Father. Notice here what the Gospel tells us about the identity of Jesus. He is first of all called the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The word Lord can mean Master, but it is also the, the word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for Yahweh, and both are true of Jesus. He is the one who is meant to rule over us, and indeed the whole world. And together with the Father, he shares the identity of the God of Israel. Furthermore, he is the Christ, the Anointed One, the King. And so when Paul calls Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not just being polite. Uh, He's saying that Jesus is the rightful ruler of the whole universe, and indeed of of your life and mine. And Paul has just said back in verse 1 that God raised Christ from the dead. And in doing so, his position as Lord and Christ was powerfully, openly, and unmistakably declared by the Father. Jesus is Lord. That is the starting point of the Gospel. But contrary to what some scholars assert, that is not the whole Gospel. There is more to it. For this Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins, that is, Jesus voluntarily suffered and died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our sins. All of us have sinned, all of us have not treated God properly, all of us have done wrong, and, and sin is very serious. If you disobey God, if you fail to treat Him properly, if you ignore His Word, if you go against what He says, then oh, that's, that's very bad. Because God is so infinitely good, God is so infinitely holy, He's so infinitely great, that to treat Him wrongly is the the worst thing we could do, and it's so infinitely bad that we could never finish paying the punishment for it. But Jesus voluntarily suffered and died on the cross to take the punishment for us. It's what we call penal substitution. Jesus substituted Himself to take the penalty of our sin on our behalf. He gave himself for our sins. But the sentence continues He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. In the Old Testament, God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. But Jesus delivers us from the present evil age. Because you see, we as individuals are not just. The only ones affected by sin, now. the whole world is affected. Right? The whole world is in sin, the whole world is in rebellion against God, the whole world is now suffering the curse of sin, the whole world is facing God's judgement in the future. And we see a glimpse of the mess that the world is in when we, look at, when we look at the effects of lives messed up by immorality and injustice, when we look at the suffering caused by sickness that's both physical and mental when we see the, the wear and tear of bodies that are breaking down, when we see the effects of war and environmental disaster. Right? The world is so affected by sin that we cannot rescue it from sin any more than we can rescue ourselves from sin. But one day, God will bring in the new creation. He will indeed make all things new. He will transform our broken world. Sin will be no more. there shall be mourning, or crying, or pain anymore. And those who are part of this new creation will be able to live lives under God the way that we were meant to, with our relationship with Him and each other completely restored. No more rebellion, no more selfishness, no more guilt, no more shame. And we enjoy this peace with God and with each other forever. And forever we will be thankful for the grace of God, His his unmerited favour, His undeserved kindness to us which enables us to enjoy this. Jesus died so that we can be part of that new creation. The Gospel is not that Jesus came to give us health and wealth now. The message is that He came to give Himself for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age, so that we can be part of this new one. He died for us to bring us true grace and peace. Now, sometimes people might misunderstand, they think, because Jesus had to die for us, that means God the Father doesn't like us very much, so Jesus has to die and kind of like twist his arm so he's favourable towards us. But of course, that's not true, is it? Jesus loves us, we know that. Uh, Later on in Galatians, Paul will say, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. But he didn't just die for us because he loved us, he's also being obedient to the Father. Look at verse 4, he died for us according to the will of our God and Father. So, Our Father loves us as well. It was the Father's will that Jesus should give Himself for us. Our God and Father loved us so that from all eternity He planned that the Son would deliver us from this present evil age, and so for all eternity we will give Him the glory that He deserves for this amazing salvation plan, transacted in love. That enables us to be saved and part of that new creation. For to him, verse 5, be the glory forever and ever. So, what have we seen so far? Well, Paul has introduced this letter, he has summarized the gospel in his greetings of grace and peace. The gospel that Paul preached was the gospel of what God has done for us in Jesus delivered us from this present evil age by the death of His Son, the Lord Jesus, whom He raised from the dead. It's not something that we did, it's what, what God has done. This is God's grace, treating us far, far better than we ever deserve. And so those who trust in Jesus live in that grace. And all of this is for God's glory. Now, in most of his letters, Paul at this point would thank God, in some way, for the churches that he's writing to, but not so here. The mood of the letter quickly changes as Paul stops thinking about God and starts thinking about the Galatians. And his wonder at that magnificent plan of God expressed in the Gospel turns into bewilderment about what's happening in their churches. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Back in Mount Sinai, in our Old Testament reading, remember God said to Moses that in making the golden calf, the Israelites have quickly turned aside out of the way that He commanded them. And by turning now to a different gospel, the people in the Galatian churches are doing the same thing. By doing what, they're not just, you see, they've not just exchanged one message for another, or one view of God's requirements for another. God called them, verse 6, in the grace of Christ or into the grace of Christ. The gospel brings them into that place where they enjoy that grace, that that unmerited favor of God. But by switching gospels, they're they're abandoning that grace. And not only doing that, they they are turning away from the God who called them into it. Notice verse 6 again, I'm astonished that you are quickly deserting Him who called you in the gospel of Christ and turning to a different gospel. So, friends, getting the gospel right is so important. Getting the right gospel is so important because if you turn away from the gospel, you are turning away from God Himself. Now, when Paul talks about a different gospel, he's not saying like, oh, there's a few different gospels that you know equally valid. He clarifies in verse 7 not that there is another one but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the Gospel of Christ. In other words, there may be other Gospels, there is no other genuine Gospel. The alternative so-called Gospels that so many have turned to are just a distortion of the true Gospel of Christ. Believing the true Gospel brings salvation. Believing a false Gospel doesn't save anyone. And so Paul says in verse 8, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be a curse, that is, let him be anathema, let him be eternally condemned. No matter who they are, no matter what position they hold, what qualification they have, what titles they enjoy, if they preach a different gospel, they are leading you away from salvation. And those who lead people away from salvation are leading people to hell. And Paul says they deserve to be eternally condemned themselves. He repeats in verse 9. As I have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you have received, let him be accursed. That is not a nice thing to say, is it? It's not a popular thing to say. But defending the gospel can be unpopular. In fact, even now, as you hear me repeating the words of Paul, some of you don't like it. Even though you know this from the Bible, it's the word of God, some of you don't like it. And you don't even know these false teachers. They are not even your friends. What more the Galatians? They'd be upset with Paul. Because these are the people they know. These are the people who are coming and teaching them. And he's condemning them to hell. But Paul doesn't care because he knows that the defending the gospel can sometimes be unpopular. He asks in verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man, but of God? Or am I trying to please man? if i was still trying to please man i would not be a servant of christ so some of his opponents might have said paul preaches a gospel that is easy Right? right doesn't come with some of those arduous requirements that, that that they are saying that people need to follow and so they might be saying well he's doing it because he's just to please people ah, make it easy for people but paul's not just a people pleaser it's clear from what he's just written he's a servant or a slave of christ he, Therefore, he seeks to please him. Before he was converted, maybe he wanted to please his leaders in Judaism, but what he cares about now is not the approval of man, but the approval of God. And that's precisely why he condemns these false gospel of his opponents in such strong terms. And friends, sometimes defending the gospel can be unpopular because people will say, actually, every view is okay, as long as it's sincere. God accepts everyone, in the end, regardless of creed. And there'll be times when we are pressured to say what people believe doesn't matter. But actually, it does. And if we love God, and if we love people, there'll be times that we have to speak the truth to them clearly, even though it's offensive. Because in the end, we are servants of Christ, and it's Him that we need to please. Well, In the weeks to come, we will discover just what these false teachers were teaching, and we will look specifically at how Paul addresses these distortions of the Gospel in Galatia. But for now, let us just think about the main lesson that we learn from this passage, and it is this. Don't get the Gospel wrong. Don't get the Gospel wrong. It is a very serious thing if you do. For a wrong Gospel cannot save. And so, if you turn from a true gospel to a false gospel, you are turning from salvation to condemnation. And you are actually turning away from the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Get the gospel right. Get the right gospel. Brothers and sisters, we have seen the genuine gospel is centred on the genuine Jesus. And the genuine Jesus, the risen Lord, is the one who died for our sins in our place. Because you see, today there are some people who will say they follow Jesus, but the, the Jesus they follow is, is just a religious teacher, or guru, or ethical teacher, or incarnation, or someone. So, He's not Christ, the Lord. Their Jesus is not the real Jesus. So, their gospel is not the real gospel. There are some people who say they love and respect jesus They even wear t-shirts saying i love jesus but they say that he didn't actually die on the cross their jesus is not the real jesus and so their gospel is not the genuine gospel you cannot save some people claim to be christians they, they believe that jesus died but the jesus they died that they, they believe in didn't die for our sins in our place to rescue us from this present evil age. He just died to show us a good example. Their Jesus is not the real Jesus. And so their gospel is not the real gospel. They cannot save. The real Jesus of the real gospel really died. And He really died for your sins and mine. That is why He can really save. If you're someone here today who hasn't yet been saved by the real Jesus, then can I urge you to come to him today. You've heard the true gospel. Jesus is Lord, the Lord whom God raised from the dead, who died for our sins to save us. And we can be rescued from this present evil age by putting our trust in him. God calls you to his grace today. So come to Jesus, put your trust in Him, and you will find in Him eternal grace and peace. Brothers and sisters who believe, let's remember that the real Gospel is about what Jesus has done to rescue us, not about what we can do to rescue ourselves. We can do nothing. We who trust in Jesus are are passive recipients of eternal grace and peace. Uh, Now, of course, in response to that, we actively seek to obey Him, to love others and all that, but there is nothing actually that we can do to earn or deserve our salvation. The genuine Gospel shows us Jesus, calls us to trust Him. Never add to the Gospel by adding requirements for salvation apart from faith in Christ. All kinds of things you can add, and so distort the Gospel. We'll see some of them in the weeks to come. But if you add to the Gospel, you make it a different Gospel. For the Gospel of Jesus is a Gospel of grace. God is the One who saves us, and so God is the One who deserves all the glory. And so now let's do whatever we can to bring Him glory now and and in eternity. And let's never rob Him of the glory by thinking salvation is something we can earn for ourselves. Because, friends, while the true gospel does bring us salvation, that's only the intermediate purpose, not the ultimate purpose of the gospel. The ultimate purpose is even higher, it's even more important than our salvation. It is the glory of God. So let's make sure we get the gospel right, not just so that we are saved. Let's make sure we get the gospel right, not just so that we don't lead others to hell. Let's make sure the gospel, we get the gospel right so that God is rightly glorified as His grace is made known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, to give himself for us, to rescue us from this present evil age. We thank you that you raised him from the dead, and we thank you for the grace and peace you extend to us through him. We pray for our friends who are here but haven't yet put their trust in Jesus. We pray that you will call them to your grace through the gospel, that they might be saved. And we pray for all of us who believe that you will keep us faithful to you and to your gospel. Guard us, we pray, that we may not turn away from the genuine gospel to a false one. Help us to defend the gospel, even when it might be unpopular. And help us to support each other as we seek to do that. And may we, with all your people, bring you glory as we enjoy the grace that you have shown us in your Son. And we ask this in his name. Amen.